It takes a few to make war, but it takes a village and a nation to build peace. Thus spoke Abi Ahmed, Prime Minister of Ethiopia, when he accepted the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019. He is determined now, it seems, to be one of the few. Welcome back to Swing Vote, the show where we discuss the facts and you draw the conclusions. Today, we are joined by a special guest from Issaquah High School. Would you care to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Kira Schwartz, and I'm a junior at Issaquah High School. Welcome to the show, Kira. In 2019, Mr. Ahmed was thrust into power as his predecessors in the governing coalition of Ethiopia, the EPRDF, resigned under the pressure of mass protests and a nationwide state of emergency. He immediately released tens of thousands of political prisoners, announced sweeping economic reforms, and promised fair elections. The future seemed bright. Western observers, in their usual starry-eyed idealism, proclaimed it the dawn of a new era of prosperity and peace for Ethiopia, free of the oppression, corruption, and gross mismanagement that had characterized the nation's government for 30 years. The old regime, led by the Tigray People's Liberation Front, initially appeared willing to cooperate with the new government, as they were still nominally part of the same party. Soon after he became prime minister, however, Ahmed dissolved his coalition and merged all parties which supported him into the new prosperity party. The TPLF was outraged by this decision and retreated to its base of power in the Tigray region of Ethiopia, criticizing Ahmed for repeatedly postponing elections, which Ahmed claims was done in fear of mass infection by the coronavirus. After the election was postponed yet again from August 29, 2020 to some time in 2021 by the government in Addis Ababa, the authorities in Tigray refused to recognize the authority of the central government and held regional elections on the original date, which the central government promptly declared illegal. Tensions grew exponentially until, on November 4th, armed conflict broke out between TPLF and government forces. It is unclear who instigated the conflict, but what quickly became apparent was the brutality of both sides. In the town of Maikadra in western Tigray, militiamen from the Tigrayan military itself massacred hundreds of civilians, most belonging to the Amharic minority in the region. The Ethiopian campaign into the region has left a trail of devastated cities whose populations were tortured, murdered, or raped en masse. Forces from the neighboring nation of Eritrea, a heavily militarized state, have also intervened on the site of the Ethiopian government, hoping to take revenge on the TPLF for its actions against Eritrea in an earlier conflict and exterminate the Tigrayan people. Though Ethiopian forces currently control the Tigrayan capital and have devastated the region's medical and military infrastructure, the TPLF, which still controls around 40% of the region, is expected to continue fighting in a guerrilla capacity until the bitter end. Abiy Ahmed, meanwhile, appears dedicated to eradicating what he perceives to be the greatest threat to his rule. With no end in sight, the question that we must confront is, what can we do to aid civilians in the region and prevent a genocide that seems all too likely? All right, well, I think the first thing we need to recognize is that there have there have been some attempts at a peace process over the past few months. However, they've been pretty unsuccessful, and that's one. And then two is the fact that other countries around Ethiopia, like Eritrea and Sudan, have their own interests. Sudan is pretty hostile to Ethiopia at the moment, and Eritrea is 
uh, in cahoots with Ethiopia when it comes to Tigrayans. So if we want to protect civilians, we have to be conscious of the fact that, you know, if we're going to say, hey, Sudanese, Eritreans, can you help out? We have to realize, hey, you know, these guys aren't exactly, um, how should we say this, uh, neutral in any sense, the word. So this, this makes things more complicated because if there was to be some sort of intervention to prevent the loss of life, you know, there aren't many uh, countries surrounding Ethiopia that would be happy to intervene uh, and support a prevention of, you know, a genocide. I think the best thing we can do um, that one can do is try to bridge the gap between the, you know, Tigrayans and the Ethiopian government at the moment try to see if we can come to some sort of peace agreement. I'm not sure if uh, Abiy Ahmed wants, I think he wants a unitary state, essentially. Ethiopia wants a centralized state, while the Tigrayans want to keep their federal independence. If if Ahmed was being reasonable, he should agree to continue some sort of federal policy and allow Tigrayans to keep some autonomy. That's probably the best thing to do, uh, personally. And the problem for him is that he would look weak if he does that. I don't think there's any real good alternatives uh, to solving the problem, like a military intervention or anything like that, because it's simply it's a remote area and there's there would receive no help uh, in the region. So I think the best thing we do is hope for a try to facilitate a peace agreement between the Ethiopian army and the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. Yeah. I believe that the best thing we can do, honestly, in this case, is simply to provide food shipments to the civilian population through any means necessary, trucks, medical care, uh, by anybody necessary. I don't think there is a way that we can end the war. Ahmed is clearly, clearly driven by his desire for a unitary state, and the Tigrayans by a deep-seated desire to remain their... A, ethnically homogenous state. That's been their purpose from the very beginning. Their name is literally the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front. They have opposed the authorities in Addis Ababa since, well, since the end of the Solomonic Monarchy. Ahmed sees the federative. Oh, Ahmed sees the federative system that granted the Tigrayans some degree of autonomy, and indeed granted them the leadership of Ethiopia, frankly, as a vestige of the horrific uh, authoritarian communist regime that dominated Ethiopia, and for whom uh, Ahmed was seen as a replacement, a beacon of hope, an escape from. It would destroy his legacy. In fact, it would destroy the, his, the entire political infrastructure he has built for himself to submit to the will of the Tigrayan People's Party, uh, to submit to the will of the Tigrayan People's Liberation Force. And the same can be said of the Tigrayans. Uh, you can, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I agree with both of you. I think that an issue, though, is the lack of access. Like, there's a lack of access to information because... The people in the Tigray region are being cut off with their internet, is being cut off access to airports, access to roads. They can't leave the area. People really can't get into the area right now. So I think something that needs to happen to kind of aid people in this area is to get something like a humanitarian corridor to 
demilitarize a part of the region so that humanitarian aid can come in safely to actually access people because right now it's kind of like a barrier between aid and people in need of aid in this region and so a humanitarian corridor would be something by the government like an agreement to allow aid to come in safely provide aid to these people and it can also allow refugees to get out of the area safely so I think that's something important, but I think also that could be used getting food in, getting water in, because people right now are just in need of, like, basic necessities. I mean, there's, like, food shortages. There might be a massive starvation potentials for, like, shortages of water. There's definitely a shortage of Medicare and medical aid for these people. So I think it's just getting them the basic things and getting access to these people to help them is a really important step. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, there needs to, we need to get, you know, crucially needed supplies, medical care, probably food. Over time, Ethiopia is known to be a place of, well, there have been infamous famines in the past, including a horrific one where hundreds of thousands of people starved to death under the Derg regime in the 80s. Um, the other problem is that there's a massive refugee problem. There's at least 2 million people who are displaced, internally displaced, and uh, thousands of people have fled uh, into Sudan. So the only way to really solve the refugee problem is to de-escalate the conflict. Um, at least where the Ethiopians, they have control over the major cities. So what they should do is they should, you know, they need to stop, you know, beating up and harassing civilians so they can, so that civilians will be more enticed to come back. That will, you know, solve the strains of the refugee problem. If refugees continue to say move into Sudan, which is already, you know, extremely uh, unstable and, um, you know, a uh, place that has that you know had a that kicked out its dictator just a year ago and is undergoing um, lots of problems to say the least. Um, basically, if we don't solve the refugee problem, it'll mushroom out of control, like how the uh, Syria, you know, the Syrian refugee problems and the West African uh, refugees who are fleeing to Europe, which will cause further anger and destabilizing effects, uh, as we have seen from European countries, you know, refusing to allow uh, migrants from Syria in. So we should try to prevent something like that from mushrooming out of control. And Ethiopia should take a more conciliatory approach and allow refugees to come back uh, to their homes in Tigray. I mean, I agree with all of you. Those are very uh, sane things for that should measures that should be taken immediately. But let's face it: the Ethiopian government is not going to allow a resettlement in this region. It's not going to allow a humanitarian corridor, or at least not willingly. The Ethiopian government seems hell bent on exterminating the TPLF and the Tigrayan people which it sees in its entirety as an op opponent to its control and to its domination of Ethiopia as a unified state. And that is a conflict that has been waging for centuries, ever since the days of the establishment, ever since the days of the Solomonic monarchy, ever since the days of the end of the era of Nagusa Nagast, oh, and the centralization of the Ethiopian state. There has always been the conflict between Ethiopia's dominant either Amharic or Oromo peoples and the more marginalized Tigrayan and other various ethnic minorities. 
Ethiopia as a concept is a construct. Historically, Ethiopia has only existed within the area concentrated around the Gondor uh, Highlands and what is now known as Addis Ababa. The newest additions, the southern conquests, Eritrea, Tigray, these are peoples sometimes unwillingly un and brought into an empire. I think the solution is the permanent breakup of Ethiopia. While I would side with you there, I think that actually could backfire because A, if there's an attempt at um, federalization, now generally I am for federalization, but I think this actually might be too destabilizing because what might happen is the different ethnic groups will, well, how should we say this, end up fighting once another. I think we should give some credit to the Prosperity Party and Abiy Ahmed for uniting Ethiopia under one banner, perhaps that's actually a viable alternative to a multinational, uh, or, or so let's say just a bunch of different states, like a Oromo state, Amhara state, maybe the Ogaden region goes to Somalia. I don't think that's going to work out. What I think will end up just happening is the Amharans and the Oromos will just end up dominating the rest because of the you know long-standing ethnic <clears throat> conflicts. I think one of the I, although I'm I'm generally for decentralization, I'll, I'll admit that, and I think this this is a solution we could go through. But I don't I personally think it's I just don't want to see this backfire. But maybe there are other ways of actually um, using uh, trying to get Ethiopia to do what we want. Perhaps we could use geopolitical le uh, levers to convince them to do things. Maybe. Um, for instance, I don't know, uh, if Egypt and Sudan maybe can pressure Ethiopia into, um, I don't know, uh, stop their t offensive to degrade because Egypt has already threatened war over the Ethiopian construction, the Renaissance stand. I don't know, maybe Egypt can be more aggressive. Or maybe, I don't know, uh, who, I bet Ethiopia gets a lot of loans from some countries, maybe Western countries and China, maybe those countries, if they're being a little... Uh, aggressive can be like, hey, uh, we're going to pull off, uh, we're going to stop lending to you if you continue these conflicts, and then that'll force Ethiopia to stop uh, their uh, Tigrayan offensive, so using more, uh, you know, I guess threats. But besides that, I can't really think of any uh, ideas, because a mil direct military intervention would be extremely unpopular. There's, I don't know, there's no really other way to solve this. Well, the uh, the greatest power player in Ethiopia is China, and we've seen before that China is, unfortunately, very unlikely to intervene against authoritarian regimes uh, in the f in the favor of humanitarianism. Um, it wants to protect its Ethiopian interests, which it has obviously invested so much in building a rail, building railways, dams infrastructure, facilitating commerce. It doesn't want to lose that influence. Now, as for Egypt and Sudan, I don't, th I don't think shaking their fists would work. The only influence I could possibly think of that would actually convince Abiy Ahmed to back down is an actual military incursion. But that will solve nothing. It will be just like what we are already seeing with the Eritrean military's intervention in the region, and with um, the horrific mass extrajudicial killings and rapes and 
atrocities, crimes against humanity, committed by a foreign army. I think that I agree with what Muhammad is saying about it's just too, like, polarized with different ethnic groups and different political ideologies throughout, like, all of Ethiopia, that it's not a viable option to necessarily, like, split up Ethiopia. So I think, kind of like what you're saying, crimes against humanity, war crimes being committed in this conflict, that could be kind of a way to lay on pressure to the government if it's not just, like, the surrounding countries like Eritrea or, like, other countries in Africa. There's power in other countries, like, you have the UN that's made comments on it, the US, and so if you have people advocating in other countries and you can lay on pressure about like evidence of war crimes, although there's not a lot of information coming from the area to confirm this, some reports have been confirmed, like reports coming from the area have been confirmed that there's been like killing of civilians, like intentionally and like unrestricted warfare going on in the area, like not discriminating between civilians and soldiers. And so you could bring accusations of war crimes to lay on pressure for them to make a peace and kind of come together instead of splitting it up, just come to a peace. I think that might be a better solution. I think what Kira says is certainly would be the best outcome that the Ethiopian government recognizes the futility of its own campaign to eliminate an entire population and uh, wage a bloody guerrilla war that's probably going to last for the next two or three decades. But I don't think Abiy Ahmed is realizing the realities, nor are the leaders of the TPLF. The TPLF are on the defensive. They want to maintain their power and now they want to keep their people alive. Abiy Ahmed he sees the entire Tigrayan people as his enemies. I think, I actually like Kira's idea of the um, of the humanitarian corridor. I think that um, we could you uh, Ethiopia, Ethiopia as you know is a landlocked country, but it leases ports from uh, another country, and outside parties could. Um, organized for goods and medicine to be sent through that port into Ethiopia where it can be used to aid civilians, provide them with medical care, and generally improve living conditions in a war zone. Yeah, I think Ethiopia uses uh, Djibouti as its main access to the sea, I think. so. Uh, yeah, ever since be... Eritrea declared its independence. Yeah. I don't, yeah, we can't use Eritrea, so, um, yeah, but there could be a corridor from Djibouti, uh, into Tigray. Um, I, I would be for, uh, Jason's, uh, like, I, I'll mention this again. I would be for Jason's decentralization plan. It's just that my opposition is if in the process of decentralization and, uh, trying to say, hey, let's give Tigray independence, that'll immediately immediately Ahmed will just be like, okay, you're independent now. Now we're going to invade you again. Uh, I mean, that's probably the most likely outcome. So I agree with Kira there. Um, but I think we're ignoring something. I think we're ignoring the fact that there's just been such a long-standing um, distrust on the part of the Oromo and the Amharans uh, against the Tigrayans because the Tigrayans have been dominating Ethiopian politics for decades. Now, I think that any attempt at 
uh, any real attempt at like a peace deal or some kind of uh, decentralization plan or federalization plan is just gonna is probably just not gonna work. Both sides would just disagree, and I, I would guys have to agree with you guys on at least attempting a uh, humanitarian corridor. Um, I'm not sure how you'd guarantee the safety of that corridor, um, but I think that's the least bad option. It definitely a must on the part of world powers. However, considering the fact that most countries in the, right now are dealing with you know far bigger problems relating to the coronavirus pandemic and the economic devastation, I have a bad feeling that even if there was an attempt at a humanitarian corridor, it'd be vastly uh, underfunded and definitely not adequately supplied, which, um, you know, it's a bad thing. Well, I think even a underfunded, under-equipped, uh, a humanitarian corridor that has little attention paid to it by world governments, even if it's just a salutary attempt at gaining some international credit, moral, the gaining the moral high ground, it would still be useful. I think the best way to protect in, and ensure the security of the uh, of these um, of the corridor is to arm the convoys. To send in UN peacekeepers, not with airstrike, uh, not accompanied by airstrikes or anything else, simply guards to accompany the convoys as they make their way into inland regions. They are impartial. They are not fighting on the side of any armed forces. And yes, there will be the occasional skirmish, but they will skirmish with both sides. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't disagree with you, Jason. Uh, even a uh, underfunded corridor is better than no corridor. So, yeah. I think that's definitely true. But like, back to the original focus of what like people can be doing to like aid people in these countries is like if you have a humanitarian corridor and you're allowing like this aid to come in, you could encourage people to like fund it or to like give resources. Like, they, a lot of them, like, non-governmental organizations, but also, like, government organizations for, like, humanitarian aid are primarily funded by, like, donations from people. And so, I think that's, like, definitely, like, a small way, but, like, just encouraging people and, like, advocating for, like, certain organizations that can go and give aid to people so that they can become better funded and give, like, as effective as humanitarian aid as they possibly can. I think the only solution here is, yeah, as Kira said, to for the best thing governments can do right now is mobilize support, um, encourage donations to you know, doctors without for Médecins Sans Frontières, to encourage aid efforts, the Red Cross, to support any efforts to establish a corridor, even if it's purely just a exercise in national egoism. Because every little bit helps, as cliche as that statement is. This, we are looking at a genocide. And frankly, there is little we can do to stop it, in my opinion. A military intervention will end up murdering millions. We saw in Yugoslavia it didn't work. <clears throat> in Rwanda, <clears throat> it is incredibly callous, I would, uh, I would say, for... It, it it sounds incredibly callous, and on some parts I think it is for us to say that there is no help for these people, that we can't do anything. But I think right now anything we can do will simply make the situation worse, pour oil onto the fire, or the, pour gasoline onto the fire.
any plan in intervention by Egypt or Sudan will just lead to further massacres, further oppression of the Eritrean minor uh, of the uh, Tigrayan minority, which controls uh, the source of the Nile River that Egypt and Sudan are so concerned about. They're in the very northernmost part of Ethiopia. Any intervention by outside powers will lead to the same result: a inflammation of conflict. Uh, indiscriminate bombing campaigns, which is usually the style of the United States whenever it intervenes in a foreign conflict, or simply the uh, increasing hatred by both sides and distrust of any outside power, which is going to make any further diplomatic negotiations extremely difficult. The best thing we can do right now, in my opinion, is to possibly open a humanitarian corridor guaranteed by UN Guard troops through Djibouti, maintain that, encourage donation efforts, and hope that the two nations come to their senses, that their leaders um, avoid committing, uh, having blood on their hands, killing ten, oh, hundreds and thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands. But at this rate, I don't think it's going to happen. So, like, currently there isn't a genocide in Tigray right now, but there have been large-scale massacres by the Ethiopians and the Tigrayans as well. So would you all support, let's say Ethiopia decides to basically decide to revert to a genocidal policy, getting rid of the Tigrayan people, would you support um, a military intervention? Maybe the, say, United States, which has a air, which has bases in Saudi Arabia and other Af and, and African countries nearby would just bomb Addis Ababa and force the Ethiopians to agree to a, uh, to stop uh, the genocide, a genocide, or what would you guys do in that scenario? Because that could, that I think this is a real <clears throat> possibility that could be, happen. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen, but this is a possibility. So what do you guys think? Well, that's exactly what the United States did with Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And, and as I recall, it failed horribly. Both um, the, um, as we discussed in previous episodes, the what what uh, actually made the both sides come to the table was Milosevic's final campaign. It wasn't the airstrikes. It wasn't anything else. It was the Serbians losing control. And I think that Abiy Ahmed is unfortunately as committed to this conflict as the various Yugoslavian, um, uh, as the various Yugoslavian splinter nations were. They won't stop, no matter how many bombs we rain on Addis Ababa. The only thing we'll do is kill civilians. So you would sit by and I mean, no offense to you, but would you sit by and do nothing as a genocide unfolds? Is it a? I mean, it's a, it's a dilemma. Is it a morally abhorrent position that I wish, uh, nobody that nobody should be put in? But I think it's legitimately the best choice in this conflict because if we choose to actually militarily intervene, there is no good military intervention. There is no positive uh, use of force in another foreign country. We don't understand what it's like in Ethiopia. We don't. We don't understand. 
what it is like to be Tigrayan, what it is like to be Ethiopian, what the people feel, what the people want. How deep are their convictions? What are the situations? What motivations, what factions, what powers that be are controlling the conflict? We don't know anything. And if we go in blind like this, all we will end up doing is destabilizing the reason further than it already is and only increasing the pace of the genocide. As soon as we start bombing Addis Ababa, the only thing they'll start doing is killing Tigrayans quicker. Um, okay, well, to Muhammad's point, I think there's already, since there's no, like, established government, well, there is, but at this time, and there's, like, a lot of chaos, there's been, like, killings of people with, like, for their certain religious or ethnic identities, and so I think it could potentially escalate into a genocide and I think I think in that case it definitely gets challenging I think in most cases Jason's right and you don't really like you don't really know what's going on there's not a lot of information coming out we can't get information in where we are right now and in most cases use of force especially like military like like severe like bombs and like missiles and things like that are, uh, they usually do end up in a lot more, like, civilian death, and it might be a trade-off. I feel like, I feel like from a moral standpoint, it's definitely not the best solution, but depending on how bad it could get, I feel like you would, you would just be killing a lot of civilians to potentially end a conflict, but potentially incite a greater conflict so I feel like there's too many variables to be sure like what Jason's saying you can't get information we don't understand exactly what's going on so I would say until you get information or more information from the region or until there's really like no choice then I don't think that would be the best option either it's just really hard because there's so many variables that you don't understand in the situation with the lack of information and communication coming from these regions Mohammed. Your response? One successful, uh, if we look at, I guess, Africa, one successful stopping of a genocide was when the Tutsis uh, uh, invaded Rwanda and uh, stopped uh, the Hutu. Hold up. Uh, sorry. Are you going to bring up the Rwandan genocide as a, pos as a positive example of an intervention? Okay, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying that if, let's say there is a genocide in Tigray. Um, it has been at least proven in the past that a military invasion of the country and toppling the regime is a successful way of ending the genocide, although obviously that would come at great cost. As I remember, the Rwandan genocide was a noted failure in Western intervention or the lack yeah, thereof. Yeah, but the... But the uh, Tutsi army, the Tutsi, uh, what is it, the Rwandan Patriotic Front managed to uh, invade and retake Rwanda. So, yes, it wasn't a Western power, but it was still an well, armed group that managed to stop yeah, the genocide. The Tutsi won after 700,000 Tutsis had already died. Well, that's and... better than not than waiting, like, I don't know, another year. And then by that point, it's over a million Tutsis dead. I mean, and then let's not forget after the Tutsis came back, they weren't exactly kind to those that committed the genocide upon them. 
it's it's a fraud issue I mean, is all I'm saying. Yes, but undeniably, the Tutsis, uh, when Paul Kagame reconquered Rwanda, that was a far better outcome than letting the Hutu government stay in place and continue a genocide. Paul okay. Kagame's supposed reign of terror has been... F- there's nothing in comparison to what the Hutus did to are, are modern Hutus and to, Tutsi minority. Are we going to praise Paul Kagame of all people? No, I'm not, I, I am not praise, I did not praise him. I am just saying that what he did was a better alternative than just waiting for the genocide to end. I think that's an undeniable fact. I think I will continue to disagree on that front. I think that the situations in Rwanda and the situations in Ethiopia are a little different because in even in Rwanda, as you said with Paul Kagame, um, that was at least a native force which understood the conditions in the region. There is no such native force in Ethiopia unless if the U.S. were to directly provide arms to the TPLF or the Ethiopian military and have simply one of them conquer the other, which will simply result in the complete annihilation of one of the parties, resulting in millions, perhaps tens of millions of deaths. Ethiopia is not... Ethiopia is not an easy country to intervene in, is all I'm saying. It, um, using, um, for example, I mean, let's just, uh, from a pure military and logistical perspective, it is difficult. Remember that in the late 19th century, Italy attempted a colonial uh, venture into Ethiopia, which was repulsed with (coughs) firearms, with um, less advanced firearms and less ar- advanced tactics by the Ethiopian army. And in 1936, the small, dilapidated Ethiopian army defeated a large... Well, uh, uh, the a, a small, dilapidated, antiquated Ethiopian defense force inflicted disproportionate casualties upon a massive Italian force with armed with tanks, planes, naval guns... Ethiopia is not a territory in which we can stage a military intervention, even if we wanted to. Well, okay, okay. I think this is a false... I think, But you are bringing up a false comparison. No offense, Jason. I mean, Ethiopia, at, back then, right? Yes, it was... It managed to defeat the Italians, yeah, um, with, you know, antiquated weaponry and just overpowering numbers. But let's look at the situation today. It's relatively easy, as we've seen through shock and awe campaigns, to basically drive back enemy force. The real problem is what happens now that you've conquered the country and now you have to deal with the internal politics. You could end up with an Iraq or Libya situation, which could mushroom into sectarian and ethnic conflict. So, and I have mentioned earlier in the podcast that. Um, it is. It would be relatively hard to intervene in Ethiopia. There's no real access to the country. I mean, almost all the states around it uh, are not exactly conducive, like uh, conducive to a uh, intervention. Like Somalia is already in chaos. Uh, Sudan is in chaos. Uh, South Sudan is extremely unstable. Um, the only real way I could see is through forcing Djibouti or maybe maybe Somalia, since Somalia. Eh, Maybe it's maybe say Force Djibouti, uh, which has an American military base there, 
um, let's say what the what I could see happening is the United States could start basically just intervene and maybe drop troops into Gray and reconquer just the Tigrayan province and stop the genocide there and stop at the border. Uh, you, the Tigrayan border. Hold on. You want to do a Operation Just Cause in a region inhabited by millions. Okay, I, I, I'm just putting out time, this idea. The I'm last just putting time out this idea. US troopers, the last time the U.S. military dropped in a foreign country, it was in Grenada, a country of hundreds of thousands. The U.S. dropped 8,000 people. Okay, but the... This, Ethiopia? Mm. Ethiopia is a nation of 115 million. Okay, how about we just land the troops in Djibouti? Like, like we just ship 100,000, 200,000 troops to Djibouti. We have them cross the desert and then uh, reach Tigray and capture the whole of Tigray. And then basically just stop at the Tigrayan border. I think it would be relatively easy to defeat the Ethiopian army. Their army is the, the being inferior to the United States military on uh, a, like a... Uh, by, I don't on, know, a, a well, huge degree. On every magnitude. front, but still, yeah. what you are proposing, <laughs> what you are proposing is one a uh, imperialist uh, conquest of. Okay, oh, I don't think by... I would say is imperialistic. We're trying to lib We're trying to stop a genocide from happening here. Right, that's the excuse the U.S. always uses. Um, uh, a, okay, that's a, true. A, but <laughs> a, 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 the liberation, bringing of freedom to other nations, you're going to land a hundred fifty thousand troops into an area, into a heavily mountainous region, and you are going to conduct. Remember, the, the Tigrayans will oppose American forces just as harshly as they oppose the Ethiopians. We will not be welcomed as saviors. Really, when the Tigrayans are being uh, are in the middle of a genocide, do you think they'll be opposed to anyone helping them? If are we saying like, like are you saying Iraqi like Iraqi civilians the, wave the U.S. troops in and shower them with flowers? No, no. Like, are like think about it this way: if we're in, let's look at some famous genocide. Are we saying like the Tutsis would have refused yeah, well, support I would say infamous from infamous genocides? Okay, well, we can. I mean, we can go more serious. We could say during the Holocaust, do you think the Jews were like, no, American Soviet troops, you guys, you shouldn't advance into Central Europe. It's okay. We can just stay in concentration camps no of course not they were they wanted to get rid of the their oppressors who were shooting them and killing them on massive scale i think the tigrans would welcome anyone who would want to help them out okay i'm just floating this idea here i don't i don't think this is a serious prospect this is uh, this is re pretty ridiculous and like I don't see this I actually happening. Simply, <laughs> I don't think that I can uh, morally or politically sanction a uh, a massive campaign into a country to stop specifically at a border to bring liberation to it. It it is far too reminiscent of the U.S. Uh, recent U.S. policy failures in Syria, in Iraq, in Afghanistan. The TPLF will do to us exactly what the Taliban did us in Afghanistan: fight a long, extended guerrilla war from the mountains. It will be costly. It will. It will bring millions of civilian casualties, and it will devastate the region. There is nothing we can do except provide humanitarian aid through a corridor, potentially in Djibouti, potentially just by airdropping supplies, whatever it may be. I think those, what you mentioned, are, I would say, false comparisons. I mean, a real comparison would be, let's say, in Iraq, there's Saddam Hussein, and he's committing an actual genocide on all the, all the Shias in Iraq. Like He's just going like city to city from Kufa, 
to uh, Basra uh, to Karbala, and he's just shooting uh, Shia's house to house, right? He's just massacring all of them. If there's a U.S. intervention at that point, it would have been extremely popular uh, uh, to the Shias, right? Because they're being safe. That'd be an accurate comparison to what we're saying would happen in this Tigrayan situation. But I'm going to be real here. Like, this, this is, like, way too comical. I mean, <laughs> the logistics alone are, like, ridiculous. And this might just end up backfiring. I could, this could backfire in, you know, in a great number of ways. So, but, like, it would be very, very hard. I can already imagine the Warhawks, uh, people just screaming, like, we didn't do anything, you didn't do anything, like, as we sit idly by, right, and a genocide occurs. I mean, Kira, what that's going to be kind of harsh. What are your thoughts? Okay, I don't know. I can see both sides of it. You have, like, if you're going to, like, have to kill people with, like, the only thing that I'm thinking of with this is, like, World War Two with, like, dropping bombs to stop a war, which is, like, I don't know. People argue that it's, like, to save people, there was going to be more, like, damage done later, and there were going to be more soldiers and more civilians killed, when in reality it killed probably more people. So I feel like you just don't know. I agree somewhat with Muhammad that you have, like, it might be a net benefit, even though you're losing a lot of people, and it's, like, an unethical thing to do in the short term you don't know how long it's gonna go on and it might end up killing more people so would it be unethical not to do it depends exactly what you're doing and obviously in any case it should be trying to limit the killing of civilians obviously intentionally killing civilians is a crime of war and in some cases like a crime against humanity so it's definitely something that should be avoided but sometimes like I don't know. It's really, it's hard. I see what you're saying too. You have like, oh, I don't know. Is it, a, is it immoral to do it or is it immoral not to do it and let more people die if you have the power to potentially stop something like this from happening? I would probably say where it is now, probably or definitely no. But if it were to escalate into a complete genocide, like the Tigray people are only like a small minority in Ethiopia, since there's so many ethnic groups, I think they're like five or six percent of the population. And so you have a lot of people dying, but depending on how many people you're going to kill, getting people from other regions like involved from like Eritrea and other regions around Ethiopia, you may end up killing more people that way than would have died in a genocide. Oh my gosh, that, but I feel like you should do military intervention to prevent the genocide, but in ways that are more aimed at peace than at like, kind of like getting them to surrender or like trying to impress them with military strength or like using military force. I feel like it's more, should be like governmental focused and like talking about peace treaties and things like that is definitely the way to go in my opinion. Okay. No, I think that I think you made some valid points. Now, the question we uh, another tactic that we could use potentially is sanctions. Frankly, now I know um, sanctions uh, they they don't have the exactly the most proven track record. We've instituted sanctions lots of times before, but I think the success of our uh, the sanction campaign against Iran uh, proves a certain. Um, 
proves that sanctions can't put a certain degree of pressure upon a government. Do you think that they would be of benefit in this conflict? Uh, you mentioned Iran. I mean, let's be honest, Jason. The people who have hurt, been hurt the most by the sanctions are the Iranian people. I mean, I have family in Iran right now, and they're complaining about how the price of like bread and everything has gone up dramatically. They have massive inflation because when the because all the sanctions have made it so hard for Iran to gather U.S. dollars at foreign exchange, they've had to devalue their currency, and now there's hyper, essentially hyperinflation in the country. Not only that, there's shortages of all sorts of items in country. And last in 2019, I remember I think it's like late in the year, there were like massive protests that just erupted. This country is there. The civilians, um, the vast majority of the people, have been hurt the most by these sanctions and the government meanwhile lives in luxury the uh people in the revolutionary guard are doing quite well and they can they're able to absorb the shocks of the sanctions and if we look at sanctions around the world the track record is, is just as bad we look at russia where putin and his siloviki cronies uh are doing quite well meanwhile the russian average russian has gone from well living in a once developed country by uh, World Bank standards to now uh, back to a middle income country that where uh, their human development, their economic progress has essentially stalled and collapsed. They're actually poorer now than they were 10 years ago. No, so no, 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 you are right that <laughs> sanctions have led to Putin languishing in uh, Putin lounging around in his Black Sea palace while the Russian people starve. I, I see your point. Yeah, so like... Well, then, I think we are forced to come to the conclusion now that there is little that we can do from the outside. Why do we always come to this conclusion? (laughs) Because there is nothing we can do. This entire entire series that we've done on genocide and horrific regimes and repression has basically come to one conclusion. Nothing can be done. We're all fucked. This isn't Ouch. the most this isn't the most optimistic of shows. There's definitely small things like you can probably like sign petitions and like write to your like representatives in the government and ask them to like I feel like you can that's how you can get a humanitarian corridor which is definitely the best solution. You can advocate and like reach out to like I don't know probably your senators or like your representatives in government. And you can also, like, fund humanitarian aid programs and non-governmental organizations in some cases have a better chance of being able to provide aid. And those are generally funded not by the government but by, like, donors, which is something we already talked about, which is something really important that you can do. So there's definitely stuff that you can do, but it's if you look at the big picture, it's not super significant if you're looking at, like, countries outside of this kind of circle that's necessarily in the conflict but I don't know there's definitely stuff you can do even if it's small yeah I agree we can definitely send aid to uh, to Gray and maybe humanitarian corridor is probably a good thing to do I think I think we've all come to the unanimous conclusion therefore that there is very little we can do to stop the conflict Addis Ababa seems dead set on defeating the Tigrayan Rebellion, as it calls it, and the TPLF seems unwilling to give up its homeland and surrender um, to a government force which is primarily comprised 
of ethnic groups which it has opposed and oppressed for the past 30 years. Eritrea is settling old grudges. Sudan, both north and south, are crippled by instability. Somalia as well. And a military intervention by any outside power would only lead to further casualties. Even if it were possible, even if we would be positive, as Mohammed said, it would bring extraordinary logistical and strategical challenges. The best thing that we can do right now is to provide aid. It is <clears throat> aid not in the form of complaints, diplomatic letters, but in the form of food, of supplies, of Medicare, support Médecins Sans Frontières, support the Red Cross, and potentially open, if possible, a corridor from Djibouti into the heart of Tigray that can bring supplies, potentially armed, potentially not. The situation, as it always is in these cases, is challenging, is difficult. And unfortunately, there is very little we can do on the outside except send food, send help, and pray that eventually the two sides will realize that killing each other and murdering members of an ethnic minority are not the solution politically, socially, economically. Well, um, special thanks to Kira from, for being on this episode of The Swing Vote. And as always, stay healthy, stay in, stay safe.